My dog shits cash. A story about love and family and dogs and stuff. Nathan Alabaster's life has gone to hell, but luckily his childhood dog has moved in. She's amazing. She shits cash, can talk to Nathan with her mind, and is teaching the kid down the street how to speak Japanese. Also, she can catch. Part 1. Being reasonable in other unreasonable things. Nathan Alabaster was lifted off his feet by a younger man. A boy, really. The kind of boy who lifts weights and eats eggs on purpose. And there were witnesses, too. The people from the office. Some of whom knew his name and now all of whom knew that he was inferior to the man lifting him up. Nathan was but a liftee, and deep down he always knew it. He didn't ask for this. No 35-year-old man asked to be picked up against their will, but up he was lifted. Up, up, and then down. And then when he least expected it, up again. Scream if you want to go faster, the lifter said, warm breath and spittle hitting the back of Nathan's neck. No, Nathan screamed. No! The grip around his stomach eased, and he tried to say why, but the grip tightened again, constricting his diaphragm and making him do a David Bowie noise. What's that, what's that? Nathan wheezed. What's that? The noise only seemed to excite the audience, and so Nathan was lifted again. Way! the lifter bellowed. Way! the people from the office said in unison as they drank, as they laughed. Way! said the others in the pub, the onlookers, the staff, and that one woman recording a video on her phone. The lifter twisted left to right left to right, presenting Nathan to the yellow-orange faces with their glittering teeth and moist eyes. And through Nathan's faux smile, he secretly scratched another notch on that bedpost. Just one more reason. I should never have come here, he thought, as he peed his pants a little. This was only supposed to be a quick post-work drink, a chance to mingle, to get to know my colleagues a little more and the only thing I'd learned about them was that they don't respect me. They made it look so easy, these people. Smiling, having fun. They loosened their ties as they traded punchlines to TV shows Nathan had never seen. They laughed so hard it made Nathan's ears whine. The grip around his stomach tightened again. What's that? He said, being raised up like Simba on Pride Rock before a pack of cackling hyenas. And that one girl Nathan thought kind of liked him. Catherine Popitov was her name, from tech support. She wore a Pikachu backpack and once referred to him as lovely. And now she was looking at Nathan like he was an unread email. Delete it, her eyes screamed. Delete it! Well, hey, said the lifter again. But this time the crowd had grown bored, had returned to their conversations, their drinks, their phones. Well, hey, the lifter repeated. This time as a question. No one answered. It was only 13 minutes later that the lifter acquiesced and released Nathan. He let out a final deflating wheeze and said, Nice one, Ron, from the sales team. Good one. Ron wiped the sweat from his forehead and said, I didn't hurt you, did I? Before patting Nathan on the shoulder so hard he coughed up some stomach acid. <laughs> Not at all. Nathan lied before melting into his seat doing his best to unpee his pants. Nathan always suspected Ron to be an exceptionally greasy man, 
and now he had the proof soaking into the back of his shirt. Ron didn't walk away but slid, not raising his feet once as he glided towards the bar. He didn't even say goodbye. Nathan breathed deeply, tried to make sense of his place in the universe, but more importantly, in this bar. The woman stood by the pool table was still filming him on her phone. Nathan waved, but she didn't wave back. To her left, the bell rang out and the bartender, a bold man with owlish eyebrows, climbed onto the bar and began to gyrate, dutifully thrusting his hips. There was no music, but still the bartender danced. The happy hour had begun and so from here on out, things would only get worse. Nathan looked back to the people at his table and quickly realised that everybody was deep in conversation. Again the outsider, he listened intently, tried to find any gaps in the conversations, but the more he listened, the more he realised he had no idea what they were talking about. Not only did he know nothing of the topics, but he didn't even recognise the words. This is this isn't English, he thought noticing that one pair of co-workers were conversing in French, another in Latin, and since when did Gary Wallace and Macau speak Afrikaans? He's from Doncaster. Nathan's chest tightened. His pulse quickened. He was surrounded and very much alone. He felt his hairline receding with each passing second. He wasn't having a good time, and worse than that, everybody knew it. Nathan felt what little street cred he had dripping from his pants. At least he hoped it was street cred. Taking out his phone, Nathan pretended to read a text from someone, and he really tried to sell it too. He smiled, even dared to let out a tiny chuckle. (laughs) Oh no, he said, pretending to receive some kind of meme that reflected something in his life and also made fun of it. Too true, he added. Nobody cared. He sipped from his beer, but no, he didn't because it wasn't his beer. He hadn't been able to get a beer. Every time Nathan had gone to the bar, the bartender, the one who was still on top of the bar, now topless and flossing his crotch of his shirt, didn't see him and served somebody else instead. This, whatever it was that Nathan had just drank, was something left behind by the people who were there before him. From the taste of it, it wasn't even a drink. Yum, Nathan said lied as he swallowed the rest of it, not daring to look at its contents, feeling a globule of something slide down the back of his throat. He wiped his mouth. Just uh, nip into the toilet, he said, trying to keep it casual and not vomit on the table. Gary Wallace from accounts clicked his tongue and Karen Jeopardy from HR hissed. Nathan never liked Karen Jeopardy from HR because, although he had no proof other than his own private feelings, He was fairly certain that at some point in her life, she had drowned a bag of kittens. She just had one of those faces. Karen hissed again and Nathan flinched before hop-stepping down the steep staircase, leading to the basement toilets and disappearing inside, locking himself in the stall. He caught his breath, rubbed his eyes. He thought about urinating, but he was all out of urine. So instead he stood there, thinking about how this night would fit in nicely with his homemade patchwork quilt of failures. Well, okay then, he muttered. In for a penny? He climbed onto the cistern, reached upwards and unlatched the small window leading to the street outside. Click, said the latch. Open, said the window. A light rain cooled his face as he stuck his head through, 
before he knew it, Nathan was wriggling through to the damp pavement, his eyes welling with freedom tears. A short 23 minutes later, and Nathan was all the way out, minus trousers and shoes which had caught on the window latch. Panting, he rolled over, slowly opening his eyes to see Ron from the sales department standing above, smoking an e-cigarette. He momentarily disappeared in the cherry-scented mist and re-emerged a second later with a Cheshire cat grin. Well, hey, Ron whispered, fingertips reaching through the e-smoke. Nathan rolled away and jumped to his feet. See you tomorrow, Ron, he shouted as he legged it, trying to make it sound authentic. He didn't want people to think he hadn't enjoyed himself. No, never. Thanks for a great evening, he howled, sprinting into the nighttime, shoeless feet slapping the damp concrete. It was raining again. How can a person live in a place that rains? Just one more reason. But the admin, Nathan thought to think. Think of the admin. One could not just off themselves and escape from the world as easy as that. One must write down all of their internet passwords for their internet accounts so that one's parents can log in and make a big heartfelt post. Nathan passed last week. Please retweet. Not that Nathan's parents would do that. And one must delete their internet history. Nobody wants people to see just how much time one has spent on Pornhub.com or worse than that watching self-help videos. And one must set their house in order, whatever that means. Clean the oven, maybe, wash your clothes, write a suicide note. And one must also gather the tools needed, the tape, the plastic piping, the ingredients for the perfect old-fashioned cocktail, including the rye whiskey, Angostura bitters, a brown sugar cube, and a fresh orange. And also, one must pick the right music. Do you want David Bowie singing in your ears as you lift off into the great black hole? Or maybe the soundtrack to Interstellar? You know, something epic. These were all important details to get right. You only get to die once. Also, he still needed to find a place to drive into the woods late at night, somewhere remote, halfway lost, with a nice view of the starlight. Somewhere he could drink his cocktail, Listen to his music and let the exhaust fumes work their way through and into his car and into his holes. Yes, to drink, to watch the stars drip and to slowly jettison his body like a rocket piercing the atmosphere in slow motion, journeying deeper and deeper into nothing. Also, he couldn't forget to leave the post-it note, the one he would stick to his paling forehead just above his greying eyes, the one that would read, Don't remove until cooked right through. One had to think of the admin. It was the last thing standing between life and death. But this rain. Were the raindrops getting bigger or was he getting smaller? The walk home was long enough and lonely enough to have Nathan thinking back to the night his fiancée vomited on the stairwell. Because what else was there to think about, really? The night she vomited blood on the cream-coloured carpet. The night he was cleaning up the sick because he didn't want to lose the security deposit on account of the carpet stains. And then there was the car ride to the hospital, the throwing up what looked like raisins, blood and tears and can't you drive faster, and the doctor with the lazy eye who came and gave her oxygen, and then the shock and the doctor's widening whites as his fiancée became non-responsive, and then the doctor's panic. It was the scariest thing to see a doctor scared, to see a doctor screaming his fiancée's name and slapping her around the face. It was the scariest thing to be holding onto her phone 
and her vomit-soaked shirt as she was wheeled into the resuscitation room and then to receive the text message that read, How's it going, sexy? From some guy called Samba. Terrifying, in fact, to learn of her little affair as they tried to bring her back to life in the next room over. It was the most terrifying moment of Nathan's useless lonely time on this useless lonely fucking planet and he should know because he'd been lonely and useless and terrified for most of it. But this then was something different. This was when life got re-evaluated, the night of promises to make things stop, to do anything and everything in one's power to make the world bearable again, to either be grateful and to love and to eat better and to smile and maybe just maybe make life just a little less fucking lonely and a little less all the time terrifying. She didn't die, of course. But even coming back to life wasn't enough to save the relationship. It was but a wake-up call for her, so she left Nathan with little more than a carpet stain on the stairs and no security deposit. Reason number one. It was 3am when Nathan finally got to his apartment. He hung up his soaked fruit coat and it slipped off the hook, splashed on the hardwood floor. He didn't bother to pick it up, simply left it as he strolled through the dark into the empty house. Kicking off his wet clothes as he walked through the piles of letters and bills and shoes and made his way into the kitchen. If he were honest, the day hadn't gone as planned. Through the small apartment window there was a single flickering streetlight and the heavy rain banging against the window. Sounded like a thousand fingers and a single thumb drumming on the inside of his ribcage. Nathan was nervous but unsure why. He was also hungry and still a little drunk. And he really needed to change his pants. With a flick of a switch, piss yellow light filled his house and illuminated a world of mess, the unbearable lightness of being Nathan. Mold-covered plates were stacked by the sink, half-eaten takeaway food in polystyrene trays littered the tables, and the window sills were lined with mugs of leftover tea and coffee, and that stringy cider he could get from the corner shop for less than the price of bread. There were pictures on the walls of a happy man and his happy fiance looking forward to a happy future, and Nathan didn't recognise any of them. There was also a brown smudge on the TV, and Nathan hoped it wasn't poo, but he honestly couldn't say for sure. Another thing, he thought. He couldn't kill himself and leave his house in such a state because then people would assume he was messy, which they would be correct to assume, but if Nathan was going to die, he hoped to leave behind a picture-perfect snapshot of a life that he never had. He couldn't have people thinking he was some sort of layabout, delinquent, wine-drinking, probably masturbates until it hurts lonely man slob. That just wasn't true. He didn't even like wine. He wanted whoever came into the apartment first, after his dead body was eventually found out there in the woods, to come in and be pleasantly surprised. Nathan wanted nothing but open-mouthed gasps as they looked upon his perfectly kept house. He wanted them to be envious. He wanted them to want more from themselves and their own homes. He wanted them to comment on how great a man Nathan must have been to live in such a perfect little home, even if he did kill himself. He could not allow for his suicide to define him, so he hoped a clean apartment might. He clicked on the TV, made himself a cup of tea. He went to grab some milk from the fridge, but inside there was nothing but an empty tub of margarine 
and the desiccated floret of broccoli. He had every intention of eating the broccoli when he purchased it, but could never quite bear to cook it, and now didn't want to throw it away and accept his failure. You will not beat me, he said to the broccoli. The broccoli didn't say anything. He pushed aside a tray of uneaten chips in stale curry sauce and uncovered a takeaway menu from the floor, the one for Kung Food. And he was halfway through dialing, already salivating at the thought of the questionable chicken when he heard movement elsewhere in his apartment. The anxious hand in his chest felt like it was trying to break out. The phone grew heavy in his hand. He placed it down on the coffee table. He turned off the TV and heard only his breathing in his heartbeat. He rolled up the takeaway menu and held it up like a samurai sword. Weapon in hand, sweat on head, Nathan stepped towards the bathroom door and nudged it open with his foot. Empty. He looked up at the corner of the ceiling because that's where people always hid in films, like ninjas or spiders. Nobody. There was another shuffling sound. Nathan turned and swiped at the air of the menu and made a ha sound. He nearly tripped on a shoe as he moved towards the bedroom and pushed it open with the menu. It was too dark inside to see anything. Hello? He said, sounding like a stepped-on frog. There was silence, something moving in his peripheries, and then a voice, soft, warm, unwanted. It wasn't a voice that moved through the air, washing up waves of sound against the shores of Nathan's eardrums. Instead, it was a voice that vibrated somewhere at the tip of his brainstem, strummed on the core of that desiccated floret inside his skull, the grey thing that he wanted desperately to silence. Nathan, the voice said, bringing with it childhood memories. He let go of the menu and it fell to the floor, unrolled itself. Winnie, he said. From the gloom came eyes and teeth and the lolling tongue. Its tail wagged but Nathan's remained still on account of him not having one. It's good to see you, the voice said. So good. His pineal gland quivered. Yes, good. Ah, Nathan said. Ouch. The psychic voice was too loud. He winced. The third thing padded towards him and Nathan recoiled. She came, tongue out of the side of her mouth, whimpering in love. Nathan. Jumping on him, felt her tongue in his face. Nathan. With each lick, flashes of colour exploded in his mind. Where did you go? Pink, orange, purple lights crackling. Where did you go? Luminous pirouettes. Where? His brain was unused to the stimulation. The colours popped and vanished. The electricity firing in his neurons shorted out and everything went dark. Where? The last thing Nathan heard was the smacking of his head on the wooden floor. You've been listening to My Dog Shits Cash, written and narrated by me, Luke Condor, with music by myself, as Duke Rondo, Krista Brisky, Ben Duncan, and End Arch Rival, Sound effects were provided by freesound.org and zapsplat.com. For more of my work, head over to lukecondor.com. That's Condor with a K. Uh, Be sure to leave a review, tell your friends, and look after your mind and your pets. Until next time.